1: Encouraging younger generations and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB, Talk 860, and womentowatch.net. We are in for a really wonderful show this afternoon. I have two women with me today, and the first is... um, Someone I'm I'm glad is back on the show to to fill us in on on what she's been up to, and that is Dr. Beth Dupree, um, in honor of October being Breast Cancer Awareness Month. We're going to chat with Beth and find out what she's been up to and, and perhaps some of the things that have been in the news. And waiting in the wings is Asha Wather. Asha is calling us from California, I believe, this afternoon. She is an artist. She is a podcast host, a travel photographer a writer and a social entrepreneur. So I'm I'm really looking forward to sharing her story with all of you this afternoon. Um, A quick update from Mount St. Joseph Academy. If you have a daughter who is perhaps in 7th or 8th grade and is starting to think about where they're going to go to high school, Mount St. Joseph Academy, who is one of our um, very favorite sponsors here on Women to Watch, is holding their open house on Sunday, October the 16th, and it will run from 12 noon to 3 o'clock. So be sure to put that on your calendar if you're looking for a high school for your daughter that is truly all about leadership. Mount St. Joe Academy is uh, certainly one of them. So, again, that's going to be on Sunday, October the 16th at 12 noon. And now I'd like to bring on Dr. Beth Dupree to the show. I have missed you.
2: How are oh my you? God. Happy birthday, by the way, sister. You are fabulous. You just had a birthday. Hold didn't on one you? sec,
1: Beth. I'm I'm having uh, trouble. I lost my audio in here, and I can't
2: hear you. You lost me. Can you hear me now?
1: I'm gonna le- I'm gonna let you keep talking while my engineer oh, comes in and tries to help me out with my, my audio. You. But um, well, why don't you go ahead and, and me, chat with the listeners and tell them what you've been up to?
2: Well, I'm, I've missed you terribly, and this is, as we know, pink sober, as I like to call it, because everything turns pink and ribbons, and uh, I like to remind the world that breast cancer is a 12 month out of the year disease, and unfortunately, despite the fact that we increase our awareness in October, um, it's around uh, 24-7, um, 365 days a year. Um, I have been busy traveling and speaking and teaching, and uh, it's um, it's been a lot. I, I miss my Monday afternoons with Sue because... They were very nice. I was kind of guaranteed um, to be done my day by about 2.30, at least the first part of my day. Um, I want to let your listeners know we have a, a wall, um, a mall walk. I can't even talk. Uh, Holy Redeemer Walk for Breast Cancer is this Saturday, 9 a.m. at uh, Macy's Court in the Chamonix Mall, and you can register there. It's $20 to register. You can go on to holyredeemer.com, walk for breast cancer, and um That is going to be a fabulous event. I'm actually going to be speaking out in Seattle, Washington, so I won't be here for that. On October 20th, I'm going to be speaking for the CancerSupportPhiladelphia.org, and that will be in Center City, Philadelphia, and that will be on uh, Thursday, the 20th. And um, I have recently done two awesome keynote addresses, um, one two weeks ago in Texas, And it's available online at um, my YouTube um, address, which is Dr. Beth Dupree, and it is called From uh, Surviving to Thriving, and it's all about how we help our patients and our caregivers to understand what we really, truly need to heal. And um, this past week, I think uh, Susan caught a glimpse of me on the pink carpet, as I will call it, with... Uh, Juliana Rancic as she was uh, speaking and I was speaking out in Ohio. Or, no, this wasn't Ohio, it was uh, Chicago. My, uh, my frequent flyer miles are getting mixed up. Um I was in Chicago at Advocate Health doing a uh, talk on the art and science of breast care.
1: That sounds like you've been quite busy. I'm back. I can hear you, Beth. Oh, I'm you so can happy. Hear I can hear your now. lovely voice.
2: <laughs> Not a good birthday. way to start a the, radio the, show. The first thing I said was your happy birthday, oh. and you didn't even miss it. I thought, oh, my gosh, she, she loves birthdays. She can't be upset that it's her birthday. I didn't even hear it. I didn't even <laughs> hear it, but
1: I'm back. I'm back. The host is back on the air. Um, Yay. Yeah, it sounds like, and you're always all over the world. I can never keep track of you, and I'm so glad you're here today. It's a special month.
2: It's been uh, it's been a busy year. I went to India um, since we talked last. I was a um, keynote speaker at the Association of Breast Surgeons of India, um, was teaching breast ultrasound and also um, teaching Indian breast surgeons about an integrative and holistic approach to breast cancer care.
3: That's awesome. Is, That's, as well,
2: you know, like one of my favorite topics.
1: Yes. And, um, um, my guest today is, was born in India, Beth. Oh. Ah,
2: yes. FYI.
1: I'm not sure. And I will find out. I know that she... I'm, she was born there and going, then
2: moved. I'm going to be going back in 2017. I've been invited back to their um big full on oncology conference in November of 2017. So I'm going to get to make another circle back. And Terrific. next time I'm planning to plan it so that I can actually go visit Kerala and Sri Lanka and some other areas over there because that's a long way to fly for a couple days. Yeah. And I need to start taking advantage of, of those things because you know, being able to travel the globe and and meet other physicians who are like-minded is is really just an awesome, fabulous thing.
1: Yeah, that's terrific. Something real quick I want to ask you about, because I read it in the news today, and I think this is a big deal. Um, The Breast Cancer Research Foundation came out and said they were going to commit $57 million to fund cancer research worldwide.
2: That's a pretty big amount of money, and that's fabulous. Yes. And, You know, we have have multiple prongs for – there are actually three, what I call like our three prongs of breast care. One is treating the amazing women and men that are diagnosed with breast cancer. And you know how passionate I am about providing, you know, healing services and making sure they get state-of-the-art care Mm -hmm. and also get their emotional and spiritual support. The other prong is bench research, looking at – new ways to target um, cancers that are less toxic, more effective, less side effects, better outcomes. And the third prong, which is one that we all really need to get on that bus, is, is prevention, where you know we really need to start educating young women and families about all the things that we can do to decrease the risk of getting breast cancer going forward and that you know that requires some buy in of lifestyle modification and stress management and you know maintaining a healthy bmi and exercising and you know feeding the temple nutritious food so um, those are the three major areas in breast care, and we, do, we need all three of them, and all three of them have to be supported and um, I, I know you you weren 't available. we did our fundraiser uh, two weeks ago for the Healing Consciousness Foundation, and by the grace of uh, of so many people, we raised over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars this year wow. to continue oh, that's our effort
1: that was all good yeah that 's awesome um, so glad you 're out there and also kind of clarifying information for you know, us lay folks, I always say, um, who really need to know what the facts are and what the truth is, particularly when it comes to women and mammograms, you know, when and, and how uh, often and, I, and that changes. So
0: yeah, you
2: well, know. one of the, one of the one of the best talks this weekend in Chicago was given by a phenomenal breast imager. And, you know, she was giving a lecture to a lot of primary care doctors. And she had five slides that went through all the iterations of who should get a mammogram? when should they get a mammogram? who needs additional imaging? and because we get mixed messages, you know, the you know, the United States Preventive Task Force in 2009 started their shift from annual mammograms for women over the age of 40 to every other year from 40 to 75. And now there's all these other rules. Well, you know, um maybe if you have a family history, you know, you should start getting it at 40, you know, every year and and so here's here's the bottom line. Number 1, of breast cancers have no family history. So the whole idea of selectively choosing who just to screen doesn't really work because then that takes away the screening process. And uh, most organizations are recommending annual mammogram um, from the age of 40 on, with certain exceptions. It may be every other year um, from 40 to 45. Um, The American Society of Breast Surgeons recommends 45, I believe, to 70 annually annually. And I think what really matters is that women need to talk to their personal physicians, find out what's going to work best for them, find out if they've got dense breasts and if they need whole breast ultrasound or if they have a significant family history and need to get MRIs as part of their screening. Because this isn't one, you know, one size dress doesn't fit all. This is not a, you know, you go and you put on the stretchy outfit and everybody's happy. This is, you know, custom made type of screening. And I think, um, we need to be our own best advocates. So the answer is, you know, ask the questions of your doctor and you can always get a second opinion about it. You can always ask another expert what, you know, what you should be doing to decrease your risk. That's
1: right. That's right. All good stuff. It was so great to have you on. I miss yeah, you. I
2: thought you were ditching me from the beginning there. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's all right, too. I love you too. Uh, never, never, never.
4: Well, um, I miss
2: you. And anytime there's great news. And by the way, Juliana Rancic, rock star, fabulous, wonderful woman. Her story was compelling, um, sweet as could be. And, you know, she truly got the fact that, you know, had she not had the infertility, because it was her infertility that led her to the doctor that ordered the mammogram. It was the second fertility specialist that ordered that mammogram that found her breast cancer. And she said, you know, when she sat in church angry at God because she wasn't pregnant from her um, fertility tries. And she was mad at God and couldn't understand it. Once she was diagnosed with the estrogen-positive breast cancer, she said thank you to God because had she gotten pregnant on her own at 35, you know, with an estrogen-driven cancer, she could have had a very different story. So it truly goes to, you know, that place where we can have all the science in the world, but if you don't have that aspect, aspect of faith and spirit and that connectedness and her humility um, through that process really is um, its just something to be um, – to. To be honored, you yeah, know, to to look at her and know that she is grace and gratitude. So
1: she had a remarkable story. um So oh, true. I'm glad you got to uh, to meet and to know her. Um, so listen, thank you so much, and and we'll thank have you, you back on me. again soon. Have a great All rest right, of girl, the week. All right, have a
2: wonderful show, and I'm just gonna turn my radio on now and listen as okay. I finish my charts. Good, sounds good.
1: Take Thanks, care. Beth. Take care. Bye bye. uh Asha, I'd like to welcome you to the show now.
4: Susan, it's so good to be with you today.
1: Oh, thank you. It's wonderful to have you. Again, uh, for the listeners, I'm uh, joined this afternoon by Asha Wather, who is an artist, and she is a a very unique individual um, who has a wonderful story about really taking um, her career and turning it into something very, very purposeful. And I'm excited to have you on this afternoon and, and share your story uh, are you? Call, I, I think you're calling in from California. Is that right?
4: Um, Arizona, actually. Oh, Arizona. That's right. Oh. Yes, sunny Arizona.
1: Sunny. Is it beautiful there
4: today? Actually, it's starting to get gorgeous. Good,
1: good. And we and yes. we have the same here. It didn't start out very nice this morning, but it's clearing up. It looks wonderful. Um, listen, you and I, we we spoke previously, and um, I know that you know. Um, how our show is run and and really what we try to do here in in telling the stories about women like you who are doing great work, um, but even more importantly, learning more about you and and who you are behind this title of artist. So I wanted to start out with the fact that uh, you were born in India, and I understand you did um, move over to, and help me pronounce this, is it Oman or it is Oman, Oman, um, Yeah. At one point, which is uh, in the Arabian Peninsula, and then you ended up in the U.S. So, tell me a little bit about your your early years in India and what prompted the move to Oman.
4: Sure. Actually, so I was born in India, but I didn't stay there for very long. Shortly after I was born there, we actually moved uh, to Oman, which is in the Middle East, as you just mentioned, and that's actually where I grew up. Okay. And I was there till 15. And then I moved from there to London. Um, I was there for about four or five years. When I first went to London, I went to a girls' boarding school in um, Oxford.
3: Mm -hmm.
4: And uh, after a few years, I then uh, took a year off, went back to Oman for a year, kind of recentered myself, and then came to the States in '96. um, And I came here to finish my further education. So I graduated from Arizona State University. Okay, that was really my my initial years I suppose
1: yeah well talk to me a little bit about those younger years I know that um, your dad has been a great influence on you and um, tell me well first of all what was the reason for the move um, out of India Um,
4: well my parents had moved there when my sister was born and I wasn't born just yet Mm -hmm. Uh, my dad has been an entrepreneur and when he moved um, to Oman at the time we were not doing well financially and he got an opportunity to go to Oman, and he didn't have anything to lose, so he said, let me see what I can make out make of this opportunity. So he jumped on a rat-infested boat, uh, went to Oman, which back then was not what you see in pictures today. It was literally desert, um, no infrastructure whatsoever, very, very different state of affairs. Mm-hmm. And he's been there ever since. He made something out of it, and um, entrepreneurship just kind of runs in his veins. When I was born, I suppose mom went to India just to deliver me, and then we came back to Oman.
1: Okay. And how did your uh, mom and dad raise you? And and uh, you do have a brother. Um, later, you know, we'll talk a little bit about the company yeah. that you and your brother started. Um, when it comes to, to young women and women um, in that country, what kind of lessons were your mom and dad teaching you as a young girl
4: and what you can and should aspire to? Oh, man. That is such a great question. So a little bit of a mixed bag because I'm in the Middle East, but we are, um, we are Indian in, in culture. Um, I'm so grateful and thankful for my parents that they have not stuck to the traditional ways of raising their daughters. I'm so grateful that mom and dad treated me, my sister, and my brother the same as they would treat their son. So they didn't differentiate between us in terms of especially education and looking back now, I am the person that I am today as a result of the type of education they gave me. Mm. You know, it's not easy to send a 15-year-old girl to a foreign country where you don't know anybody. And they did it not just once but twice with me, once to the U.K. and once to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And it, the distance kept getting farther and farther. Um, and it takes a lot of courage on their part to, to do that. So I'm so grateful that they didn't subscribe to the traditional theory of, how a girl, their concept of what a girl should be. So typically in our culture, we think of the girl not as an investment. The boy is the investment, but the girl is more of let's just get her a decent education so we can get her married to a decent family, and then she's just going to cook and have kids for the rest of her life, right? Mm-hmm. So giving her an education, it's really not a good investment if you think about it.
1: mm yeah, that's and that's wonderful that, that your parents had that perspective. Would you say that was something that they both shared equally, or did one kind of help the other, uh, you know, have that attitude?
4: I think they both shared it equally. Uh, from my dad's perspective, he felt so strongly about it, I think because he was pulled out of school at a very young age because he was the oldest of the family, and he had to take care of um, family needs at the time. So, I think that may have been one of the reasons why he was so um he found such emphasis on education.
1: Yeah, it's it's wonderful it for you and it clearly speaks to um why you had the I guess I'll, I'll say the courage really to you know they were they were wanting you to to move from where you were to have more opportunities and you must have felt some sense of security that allowed you to do that.
4: Yes, absolutely. I mean, to have my parents' support, I mean, the journey was certainly not easy. If you think about 15-year-old, at least in my case, I'll speak for myself, I didn't know a lot of stuff at that time, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure I don't know a lot of stuff today. (laughs) Um, But as a young teenager and having lived in a pretty sheltered lifestyle up until that point, even though I had traveled the world with my parents, it was still very sheltered. I mean, when you think about it, even the most basic things as checking into a hotel. My dad took care of all of that. I never got the opportunity or I don't want to say opportunity, but we were never pushed to go and say hello to somebody or ask for something. It was all taken care of. And so you move to a completely different country, different culture. You still don't know who you are and you're Mm -hmm. discovering yourself as a teenager. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty tall order. Yes, it is so. Yeah. Tell
1: me, tell tell me. You know, one of the I, I wrote a quote um, that you had said about, uh, and that might be speaking directly to, to what you're talking about now. You said, "Through plenty of bumps and bruises, I've discovered and experienced true freedom and happiness, and I work every day to deepen that state of mind." Can you be um, specific about what were those bumps and bruises? What were some of the hardest uh, personal challenges you had to face.
4: I would say my biggest one um, was certainly my divorce. Um, life as I know it, and every aspect of what I had built, just everything crumbled and fell apart. And so, having to pick up all those pieces, or or actually create new pieces and build your life again from there, was. Probably one of the most challenging things that I had experienced as my very first one. And then, of course, um, running my own company was probably the biggest challenge uh, that I ran with my brother for for nine years. Um, But the divorce was really my very first experience where I said to myself, wow, I now have a second lease on life. And now that I have this opportunity, what do I consciously want to make the rest of my life look like? as opposed to following a path that has been predetermined, I guess, to a certain degree. Um, you think that you are making choices, but really, society has told you for such a long time that this is the path that you need to take. And at some point, we don't even question it, we just do it. Um, maybe 50, 60 years down the road, you question, like, why did I do that? Um, so my divorce really was, was that first key moment for me.
1: Mm. and And I can see that you know where you probably in advance made this conscious decision that you were going this was going to be something that you were going to make work and probably have um a successful relationship like your own parents did, so um the disappointment I guess of that must have been hard.
4: Well, it was a big deal because, you know, this was like in, in our culture, there's a lot of arranged marriages that happen. Mm. And I went against my culture and it was a love marriage. And it was with a, um, a person who was half American and half British. Um, he was actually white. So I completely went against my culture, and hence, (laughs) nonconformist. Yes, yes.
1: Nonconformist that you are.
4: Yes. Yes. That's right. So how do you go from having you personally selected somebody that you thought you were going to spend the rest Mm, of your life with? Right. And your parents also stood up for you, you know, in our society and said, I'm going to stand behind my daughter. And now I'm turning around and saying, oops, you know, that's not working out. Of course, I'm making light of it, but... Um, but how do you do that? That's really difficult. So, so what? Tell me, um, what did
1: you say to yourself to help? You know, in the um, when it was happening and you were going through it. I'm sure it was, you know, you were conflicted and sad and scared and and all of those emotions. What was it that eventually led you to believe that it was go? It was okay. This was just another, you know, step on your journey.
4: Oh my God. Um, Yes, I did struggle uh, for the longest time, about a year, year and a half. I actually didn't know what I was experiencing. And as corny as this might sound, I was watching Oprah or flicking through channels and somebody on Oprah's show said something about falling out of love. And I said, wait, back that thing up. I've never heard of that concept. And I think finally all of my emotions, and of course, there's a lot of layers to what happened in the relationship, Mm -hmm. but I'm just going to kind of surface through that right now. It allowed me to finally put everything that I was feeling into words and that was really important. So not only that combined with the fact that one day um I had called my mom and I had said to myself, okay, nobody knew by the way what I was experiencing. I stopped calling my friends, my uh, my calls to my parents had had gone down significantly. I would call them once a week, and that just wasn't happening. So anyway, I call her, and I said, okay, you know, you're going to pretend like everything's okay, and you're going to talk to mom, and you're going to let her know everything's okay. And I remember this day, crystal clear. Um, she asked me how things were going, and I said, everything's going great. He's doing great. And she just stops me mid-sentence, and she goes, you know, I'm your mom. You can tell me anything. And I'll, hopefully I won't tear up right now, but that really got to me.
0: Mm.
4: how could she be so many thousand miles away and yet know when I had not given her any indication that something was the matter, that mm. she just knew? Right, right.
1: Moms are amazing like that, aren't they?
4: they yeah, it was yes. insane. Yeah. And, and I, I think that is what liberated me. I, say, I have said this before. My mom didn't give birth to me once. She gave me birth twice.
1: That's mm, That's beautiful. That's beautiful, Asha. I think, gosh, it speaks volumes to um, what can happen when you get the support from another human being, whether it is a parent or a friend or, you know, uh, someone that just says, no matter what you're going through, I'm here for you. It's okay. Yeah.
4: yeah, It's okay. And the rest was, you know, difficult, but I never got my parents involved because it was my um, journey to, to finish, I guess. Um, and that's what I did. But all I needed from them is to know that I have their support. And then everything, I'll deal with the rest of it. That's no right. big deal.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's, that's really, that's beautiful. Um, and, oh, and you made get, me cry! Oh, I didn't mean to make you cry. <laughs> I know. I didn't mean Sorry. to make you cry. No, you know what? Gosh, you're you're being open and truthful, and you know that's that's all people can ask for. I love that about you, and I love that part of your story. And my guess is that your parents saw the potential in you. I I I want to point out to our listeners that you you know you went on to graduate magna cum laude. From uh, Arizona State University uh, with honors. Um, so you did, um, and uh, that was prior to, I guess, your, you know, your marriage. Prior to the Yes. Yeah. But yes. Um, I think it it speaks volumes to the hard work that you have put in to your education, and um, I'm I'm sure that your parents saw the potential and they just they really wanted the best for you. Um, tell me. Yeah,
4: and you know, while I was going through my divorce. I was, again, so grateful and conscious of the fact that I could not have gone through this difficult time had it not been for the experiences and the education that I had behind me. I mean, to have gone to London at 15 and to have done all the things that I did at such a young age without anyone's help, that really, really helped me down the road. Um, Most people don't realize that, but all of these experiences really toughen you up, and you don't know what you're really getting prepared for.
1: That's right. And you know what? It reminds me, something you shared with me, and this is something um, I wonder if it has, my guess is it has stayed with you and um, been one of the things that has shaped your your drive to to keep going. A teacher uh, said to you, and I'm not sure it was, if this yes. was in high school or in, in college. Um, and this is so awful to me to know that there are teachers who, instead of building up their students, they actually, you know, try to tear them down. But a teacher said to you that you would never be a success.
4: And uh, yeah, she didn't say it like that, but it was at the girls' boarding school, actually. Okay. So I kept getting um, D's and E's, which are – which are alphabets that I never would get on my papers because I was a pretty good student, Mm -hmm. Um, typically an AB student. So I said, okay, maybe that standard is just different and higher here. So I'm going to elevate to, to that level. And I kept trying, kept trying, and it still came back as D's and E's. So I finally went up to the teacher one day and I said, what can I do to improve my grades? And her response was nothing. And Being at such a young age, I didn't know how to respond to her. And part of me didn't even recognize or understand, did those words actually just come out of her mouth? Um, But it was up to me whether I wanted to believe what she wanted me to believe about myself or was I going to take a different path? Mm -hmm. And I decided to take a different path. I actually left that that school after one year. Uh, There was no way I was going to let that dictate the rest of my life. Um, maybe you are not a good teacher. I don't know, but I'm not going to graduate with bad grades because you think I'm not capable of more. So I went to a different college, took different um, courses, finished a two-year course in one year, had the best time, amazing teachers, and I got good grades. Mm -hmm. So the lesson for me is over your lifetime, you are going to have plenty of naysayers that you're going to run into. Along all ages of your life. doesn't matter whether you're 15 or 40. The question is, are you going to believe what they want you to believe? Mm. Or do you believe in yourself? That's right. And if you don't believe in yourself, then the rest of the world is not going to believe in you.
1: That's right. That's one of the greatest lessons, isn't it? To, you know, to ignore the naysayers and, and listen to your own voice yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so. Asha, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break for our sponsors. and when we come back, I want to get right into talking about the company that you started with your brother. Absolutely. We'll, we'll be right back.
3: There are three hundred and sixty five days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. I'm Jocelyn Ewart, Founding Principal of Entrust Financial in Wayne, Pennsylvania, and it is my pleasure to share financial tips with you during my monthly segment on Women to Watch. I hope you are a regular listener like I am and that you are finding the personal finance tips I provide helpful. Some of the topics we have discussed so far this year are how to get organized, how to help your children learn good money habits, How to create that all important travel budget and what steps are needed as you prepare for retirement. Now, I have truly exciting news for you news you can share with your family and friends. As a veteran certified financial planner professional, I just published my first book, Balancing Act Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. It is filled with inspiring, real case studies to help you and other women move past fear, build confidence and make the right decisions without financial concerns. Just go to Amazon.com to purchase your copy. And please, write a review for Balancing Act Wealth Management Straight Talk for Women. I look forward to reading it.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. I have with me this afternoon a very special guest. Her name is Asha Wather, and she is an artist um, living and working in Arizona. And uh, I wanted to to talk a little bit about uh, the company, Asha, that you started with your brother. I think one of the first things I wanted to ask your degree was – in hospitality, uh, or that yeah. wasn't the degree. What degree did you get?
4: Yeah, I actually got it in recreation with a minor in business and history with honors. Okay, okay.
1: Completely and, different from technology. Completely different. Yes, you, you <laughs> know, you were in the hospitality industry, and then um, I wanted to know what precipitated this move, um, and of course, what gave you the confidence to to start a technology company.
4: Yeah, I had worked in the hospitality industry for several years, worked in different departments. And I think there just came a time when the stars were aligned with with my brother and myself at that time. So we sat down and we discussed, you know, starting a business together. And of course, my dad being an entrepreneur, I think it just kind of runs in our veins. And that's kind of how it got started. Um, Confidence perhaps has not been that much of an, I, I please, I don't want to sound cocky, but has not been that much of Um, an issue, and it has continued to increase for me as every year has gone on. Mm -hmm. So that was never something that really crossed my mind. Um, I think more than anything else, it was just being focused on, okay, what do we need to get done, and how are we going to do this, and where do we want, what is the vision for our company? That really was the focus for my brother and I when we started this.
1: And did you see a need somewhere and decided, you know, that you were going to, the, the name of the company is Atmosol? Is, is Atmosol, yes, yes Atmosol, right. and your brother uh, Vishal, is, is that how you pronounce his name as well? Yes, Vishal. Yes, he's still running this company. He is running it, yes. And, and what do they do?
4: So uh, we transitioned a little bit, but basically, um, towards the latter half of when I was there, and and even today, basically they provide um, website design and custom software back end solutions for clients specifically in the e commerce arena. Okay. So some of the clients that we worked with, um, I still can't believe it, you know, Viacom, Red Bull, Taylor Swift, and the likes of, we got an opportunity to work with clients like that.
1: Mm. Yes, those are big names. <laughs> I'm sure, we, you know, everyone has heard of all of those. Tell me, what did you, um, how did you land such big clients?
4: Uh, we actually worked very closely with Amazon. So um, they had come up with Amazon a Web Store platform. Um, which was the e-commerce platform, and they wanted solution providers to be able to provide the services that they wouldn't be able to, so we would essentially have uh, clients that were in common um, to help them lead to that goal together. And um, again, long story short, they added several uh, solution providers, we were one of them, and then they, on 1 December, they called us and said, hey, we're going to reduce the number of solution providers we have down to only five, and by the way, you are one of the five. And so that's kind of how the story started, and how we ended up uh, landing clients like that. Mm. Um, uh, so that's at the t- short, succinct version.
1: Yes, right, right. And <laughs> tell, what did you tell me? What you you took away most? What was the greatest lesson you learned um, during those years running that company? Because what you're doing now is so um, is quite different.
4: Wow, there are so many lessons within each section, whether you take marketing, finance, all of those things. But overall, I would say that um, being an entrepreneur is certainly not an easy journey. There are challenges every single day, and you just rise to the occasion. Um, I don't know if that's a lesson, um, but that's what comes to my mind right now. And there's so many things that I learned about people. I guess that's probably the biggest thing. You're dealing with you know, team members, you're dealing with clients, and that is such an art in how you communicate so many different things and having different types of conversations that it really helps you understand people. And I guess that's probably one of the biggest takeaways that I took into leading to Twisted Myrtle, which is my new company. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I would say that that's probably the biggest takeaway understanding people, psychology, what motivates people. Why are they motivated that way? It's understanding all of those things that really um, helps me with what I'm doing today.
1: Yeah. Well, so at some point, you, you must have uh, begun to realize that your heart really belonged somewhere else, and, and that was with your creative side. Was there a pivotal moment? Was there something that occurred when you said, that it's time, it's time now for me to walk away from Atmosal and and start something new?
4: Yeah, it wasn't a light bulb moment, like one day I just, you know, something was meeting away at me, Uh, but it was a slow progress. I think the first time that that conversation that started within myself was I remember a Sunday afternoon, I'm sitting at my house and I asked myself, hey, you know, if you've reached the heights of success that you envision yourself to be at that day, how would you feel? And to my surprise, I was very honest with myself and I realized that while I would, one part of me would be very excited and really fulfilled in what I've accomplished with my team members. The reality is I would also feel extremely empty inside. And I didn't understand why I would feel empty. So I tried to keep pursuing that conversation with myself. Why would you feel empty um, if you reach this height of success? Well, simultaneously, I was also going through a really bad depression at the time. I felt like both my business and personal life were kind of coming crashing down at the same time. And and that's when these conversations were taking place for me. And that led me to then ask myself, well, especially when I was in the throes of depression, it really peels all the layers that seem to be superficial. And at least in my case, it did. And it really helped me understand what was the most important thing in life, especially because I was in depression, you know, what house or car or the materialistic things that I may have, they didn't satisfy me, they didn't fulfill me, they didn't make me happy when I was in such a bad place. So what really would make me happy? And so I changed my definition of success. And the moment I did that, everything in my life just changed. So I think those were the pivotal moments for me. And once I went down that journey, um, there was no turning back. There was no way that I could stop this voice that was inside me that was just calling out to me. And for me to keep doing what I was doing, it, it was just not possible. That would be the death of my soul. Mm.
1: That's that's some deep thinking. Now, the depression that you talk about, is that something that you still battle today? Or do you think it, it was... Um... A temporary situation because you were somewhere that you were not feeling fulfilled.
4: Absolutely temporary. My depression has always been. So I've been through this a couple of times. One was certainly when I was at the girls' boarding school. That was my first time, um, and then my divorce, and then this time. So I guess three. They've always been life induced, and the way that I tackle it is, I meet it head on. I figure out what's what's bothering me and how do i fix that and then i can move on so
1: one of the things that um is is um key about you is you are i'll say a self-proclaimed nonconformist and mm-hmm. um which is a great thing especially for for a young woman because i think you know whenever very often we're limiting ourselves when we're when we are conforming and trying to be like everyone else you know we're really missing what it is we're supposed to be doing Um, And you are a purpose driven artist, I'll say. Um, Give our listeners a sense of what, first of all, what social causes most dear to your heart? And tell me how you think that that art in general can have an impact um, in the world of social causes and the work that you're doing
4: a great question. Let me try and answer it in a in a different way. I guess if I may start with just what my purpose is with Twisted Myrtle, maybe mm-hmm. that will help yes. answer some of those questions. So my purpose really is to challenge people on their thoughts, values, beliefs, judgments, stereotypes, and prejudices, including my own. I'm not perfect, certainly. And I do that through my travel photography, through my writings, and through my podcast. And the types of topics that we cover on the podcast are a gamut and everything under the sun really um whether it's sexual abuse domestic violence um environmentally related issues it could be a gamut um i've done shows i'll just give you a sample of some of the shows that i've done um you know how do you know you're gay how does one become a burlesque stripper can anyone succumb to cults and brainwashing And those are just three that I'll just mention off the top of my head, but we cover a wide variety. And the purpose of all of these shows is really, rather than judging things from the outside, which is so easy to do, we really take the time to understand what's behind each story or each person, or whatever that particular topic is, and then move into kind of, Solutions or understanding. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. Um,
1: it it really—it's taking the time. I think there's always another side to a story, and we're often very quick to judge um, circumstances and and people. And so often, when when the conversation is had and it is talked through, there's a, there's another side to it, and people go, Oh, I, I never would have thought of that. Um. Yeah,
4: absolutely. Like my very first guest, Sarah, who was absolutely amazing. You know, if you had met her when she was 15 or 16, it would be so easy to pass up on her and say, well, she's a tweaker and she's a drug addict and just, you know, siphon her off. That's it. But when you really take the time to understand, you, you could possibly understand why she ended up doing drugs. I'm not justifying her actions. I'm just saying, let's just understand where she's coming from. So she was sexually abused um, at a very young age 10 or 11 for a couple of years she was in depression she injured her body to the point where she ran out of space on her body um, you know with cutting herself and then she ended up doing drugs Mm. and that when when you sit and listen to what she has to say and why she made those decisions I mean she had me in tears um, for one of the reasons why she self-injured her herself it's it's just amazing.
1: Well, it's and, – and I like the way you described it about peeling back the layers. Um, one thing I have learned is that so very often people who struggle with any kind of addiction are the most sensitive souls on the planet, yeah. right? The, yeah. I mean, they just are people that are um, very, very sensitive. So they have a hard time, I guess, living in – you know, this is a, a – the world is a tough place to live in, um, and so they don't often have the coping skills. That's a whole other show, but um,
4: yes.
1: I understand what you're but the saying.
4: Reason, yeah, but the reason why we get into all of these different topics and the way that we approach them is I personally feel that, you know, all of these issues are not new to our society. We've been dealing with this kind of stuff for centuries now. That's right. That's and right. we will continue to have these conversations unless something changes. So insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Well, we have to change this, and I think the conversation needs to be different. We, rather than having superficial conversations, we really need to get down deeper and approach all of these things with understanding um, rather than judging and and being really raw and honest about these things. So when you understand these things, then you can say, okay, maybe I need to change the way that I think about certain topics and certain things. And then that leads to different actions. And that's what we're trying to do with the show. And so, tell, so
1: um, explain Twisted Myrtle again is your is your business. What are some of the things that you are doing um, in addition to your own podcast and uh, conversations? How How is the photography and the writing um, contributing to your cause? So the
4: photography contributes in the sense that um, photos tell a story visually, right? So when I first took, art, took up photography, which I didn't know that I was – that's something that I wanted to do. But again, when I was in depression, I ended up taking a photography class, and it opened up this entirely – new world for me and a different way an artistic way to communicate certain things i feel that it contributes to what i'm doing because through the lens i'm able to see certain things and i'm able to hopefully tell other people's stories through the way that i take pictures um whether i go to svalbard or greenland and i'm exposed to seeing how the glaciers are retreating i can take that and come back and then tackle those issues Um, through the podcast or through my writings for example so that's kind of how photography contributes to the cause Um, and then of course my my uncensored writings whether it's on my blog or sometime probably next year I'm going to start working on writing my books and they're all tied to the same theme and the same purpose that I mentioned earlier which is about challenging our thoughts um, and so on
1: so tell me, as an entrepreneur, um, um, a, a business owner, how are you generating revenue? What is, what is the business model of what you're doing? Because it's not a, you know, traditional, not uh,
4: traditional. product or service. <laughs> yeah. That's right. Yes. Well, people can uh, go and, uh, to my website and they can purchase my photography, for example.
1: Okay. And your um, photographs are beautiful. They really are very, very beautiful and unique.
4: Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. So that's, that's one way that I'm generating revenue. And then the second part is for the podcast, I'm actually now actively looking for sponsors for organizations or philanthropist um, entrepreneurs that would be interested in being part of this and supporting something like this to really drive meaningful change in our society.
1: Okay. Um... So here's one of, the, one of the questions I had for you with regard to, to what you're doing and art. What do you think? What do you think art does? Um, how is it different in, in the impact that it has? The obvious, it, it's visual. Mm-hmm. I understand. I think when you, uh, when someone reads something, uh, they learn differently. When they're told something, they learn differently. When they're looking at art. You know, the visual aspect of it. Why is it so impactful?
4: I think it's impactful because art provides a space where you can be free. You can let your guard down and you can just express yourself, um, whichever way that is, whether it's through photography, whether it's through writing, whether it's through any other artistic medium. There's just something magical and pure about an artistic form that allows you to drop down all that facade and and the walls and allows you to really come into being honest about whatever it is that you're trying to communicate.
1: Yeah, I, I like that. It takes it takes away any kind of um I, I guess it's it's very subjective to the viewer as well um yeah right which which again is absolutely yeah it's not having you know um that conformist view um because people's perceptions will all be different depending on their own life experience
4: and art by its nature i guess perhaps is a little non-conformist right you're pushing the boundaries through your artistic means and so in that sense i guess it's a um it's a marriage made in heaven for me.
1: Yeah. <laughs> do you have, is there someone that is, you know, in the art world that you um, have great respect for that has, um, you know, been an influence on you?
4: Um. Okay. So I'm going to have a non answer to that. Okay. Even as an entrepreneur, I have never really had like one role model and I, I, it's just not how I do things. I love different aspects of different people And so I try to take all of those different things from different people and try to incorporate that into myself and make something unique out of all of that. Um, I did the same thing with traveling. You know, when you travel to all these different countries, every country has good, bad, and ugly. And it's up to me to discover what those things are, and I can incorporate those different things from different cultures into my being.
1: And, and try not to be influenced by outside um, influences, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, you you know, you've had an opportunity to live in three different, um, on three different continents, I'll say. And I'm sure that has share, uh, shaped your, your global perspective. I wonder if you can speak to, cultural differences that you've seen, observed, learned from from living in, in those three different places that are so very different?
4: That's a really heavy question. Um, might be here for a while, uh, <laughs> but yes, that's a great question. Um, I would say, let, let me see if I can answer it this way. From having lived on three different continents, I feel like I can be most myself here in the U.S. The moment that I landed here, I was overcome with the feeling and sense that I'm finally home. I don't know how to explain that, but that's how I felt. Um, I feel while people across the world, certainly we are all judgmental and all of that good stuff, I feel like in the U.S., I'm able to be more myself than anywhere else. Mm. Um, I don't know if that answers your question in its entirety, but that's one aspect for me. Um, certainly, when I go back to the Middle East, even today, I I'm not a different person, but I am much more reserved. I'm I conduct myself a little bit differently than I do over here, and that's a part of me. But the real Asha is the one that is able to experience and live in the U.S. I don't know if that makes
1: any sense. Well, it does, and I think it's quite interesting. I think it's it's an observation. Um... Or an experience you've had that speaks to the freedom that the U.S. offers, and of course, you know, in this um, this very heated political climate we're in, um, the word freedom is kind of thrown around um, a lot and often, and um, people have different opinions about it. But I would say, at the end of the day, your experience has been: you you came here, and you felt, even just upon arrival. Um, a sense of freedom and being in a place that would allow you to be the original that you are.
4: Right, and to continue to explore that. The other aspect to your question, I'll just say this, what I have recently discovered is that whatever issues that we have as a society, across the globe, they exist everywhere. It's not that at first I thought maybe certain things don't exist in the U.S., but they only exist in India, for example. But with greater thought into it i now realize that whatever those issues are whether it's sexual harassment or any of those things they happen across the board everywhere in the world the difference is on that scale how far have we come so in certain uh topics maybe india is much much farther behind than where the us is for example and and that applies across the across the globe
1: that's a good that's a very good point. How far have we come? That's a very good question. How far on that?
4: Yep, we are all on that on that scale. It's just a matter of where we are on the scale and how much more work we need to do um to keep pushing that.
1: That's right. Tell me what um just a few minutes left. Tell me what keeps you up at night. What what is what is your number one fear?
4: You know, that has been part of the journey to actually let go of attachments. I can't ever experience true freedom if you have attachments, and one of the attachments is fear. So, over the last couple of years, it's incredible to be in a place where I've let go of so many things, I've let go of so many attachments, and I try to live every day like it's my last day. And if you do that, then... I'm not driven by fear it it can't get the best of me and if it if it creeps up, then I'm very conscious and aware of it, and I try and tackle it and put it to bed very quickly because, having experienced this amazing way of living, which is in true freedom, and I'm sure there are different levels of it, and I've only scratched the surface and there are more levels for me to reach, I want to keep not only maintaining that but I want to deepen that so uh forgive me I don't have the answer to your question as to what fear keeps me up oh, it doesn't Yeah well that's that's um
1: it it's it's a wonderful insight because what it you know it's it's saying that you you will experience you know anxiety and fears because things go on around us but you remind yourself that you have the ability I love that to put it to bed that's a great way great way to end the show Asha, I thank you so much for being with us this afternoon and sharing your story. I'd love to talk with you again some more one day.
4: Absolutely. Would love to. Thank you, Susan, for having me.
1: Thank you. And just so people know, they can find you at twistedmyrtle.com. And that's twisted, T W I Z T E D, myrtle.com. That's right. Thank you so
4: much, Susan. Have a wonderful day. Thanks,
1: Asha. You as well.